Hello and welcome or welcome back to Podrick the Podcast, the official incremental podcast channel. If this is the first time you're tuning in, you'll be happy to know that in this series we have unscripted, unbiased interviews with people from all around the marketing industry. In the episode today, I, Maor Sadra, your host, spoke with Natalie Cook, UA manager at GameHouse. Natalie has a wide experience in game marketing. We kind of went off topic and spoke a lot about gender equality and diversity, women in gaming and more. I appreciate Natalie's willingness to talk with me about sensitive topics, especially given that apparently this was her first podcast interview. I enjoyed talking with Nat and hope you'll enjoy this conversation. And we are going to start in a three, in a two. Hello, Natalie. Hi, Maor. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me join the podcast today. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. You were just in London uh, recently. I was also in London, but I was on uh, leisure purposes. How was that trip? It was wonderful. Um, it was my first experience of speaking at a panel in person, um, especially post-pandemic. Well, we're not quite through the pandemic yet, but we're definitely seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. So it was really wonderful just to be around people in the industry and share some knowledge in person. Um, first time in a long time that that's happened for me. How was your trip to London? I hear you went to see the, the Harry Potter. I did. Um, I, I actually watched the like all eight I think movies um, the week after because I, I went with my daughter to the Harry Potter studio tour thingy and I've never read the books or watched the movies so <laughs> I was like a little out of place um, but now I watched everything. Are you a fan now? Uh, again I would still say when it comes to kind of like a, um, what is it adventure and fantasy I'm still more into Star Wars like way more Harry Potter is nice. I did cry in one of the movies, uh, but uh, <laughs> let's not embarrass myself too much. Um, Natalie, you want to maybe introduce yourself uh, to the audience and to myself and kind of give a lengthy background to how you how you got to where you've got? Yeah, of course. Um, well, hi, everyone. I'm Natalie, and I'm a user acquisition manager and people lead working for GameHouse Original Stories. Historically, GameHouse, um, they made a name for themselves in PC gaming, but during the last few years, um, it's seen real success in free-to-play mobile gaming as well. Our games feature a lot of inspiring female protagonists, and as an advocate for both women in games and women in mobile, I'm so proud to work on games where diversity and inclusion are considered an integral component. At present, my primary focus is working on the launch strategy for an upcoming title, which has been lots of fun. And I work as part of a really incredibly talented team. But to answer your question properly, how did I get to where I am? Um, well, I've been working in games for close to six years now, but I actually left high school with very few grades, then graduated top of my class from an access program, which I was very lucky to be accepted to and started out life training as a lawyer, briefly considered a career as a stockbroker and also a doctor, <laughs> which was, I would say, really my most humanizing job was working in the high dependency unit of a hospital where I was dealing with life and death on a daily basis. Crap. But well, I guess suffice to say, I didn't envision a career in games growing up, but falling into this industry has been a, a very positive twist of fate and now there's no place I'd rather be um, working with games and just amazing accepting people who work and work in and represent this field. It's 
it's my happy place and I get up and I look forward to going to work every day. That's pretty cool. And it's it's actually quite amazing. And I don't think anyone like uh, six years ago or a while back ago envisioned, oh, I'm going to work in gaming or mobile gaming or user acquisition. I think now in today's world, you know, it's like um, if I look at my kids, for example, my son's dream is to become a, a YouTuber and be a game developer, which is uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's super cool. Yeah. You know what? The, I, I think especially in, in mobile, the... The industry is ever changing and pivoting and that's what makes it interesting and you know what was five years ago is so different now and what will be in five years we can't even predict and natalie what's your favorite app oh that's a good question um at the moment i have to say that it's a game called love and pies by trail mix um really really lovely uh, narrative in this game great art style and it's definitely my escape when i have five minutes of downtime I'm gonna I'm gonna actually jump to another question that um, I, I was planning to ask. Oh, so one of the most unique aspects when it comes to like mobile gaming and the gaming community is a that there is a community. Like people actually talk with one another. Even people who would be essentially perceived as like direct competitors are talking with one another. Sometimes sharing some insights. Um, and it's 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 quite unique. I don't really see too many industries working like this. Why why do you think it is the case? And why do you think other industries are not doing this? Oh, that's a very good question. It's actually what um, I love most, I think, about this industry is the fact that people do talk openly with each other. And, you know, in my introduction, I, I mentioned how sort of accepting people are within this industry. And you're right, it is unique. Um, I'm not too sure what the unique formula is that makes um, individuals in this particular field so open to talk about the successes, the challenges and the day-to-day -day sort of um, problems they encounter in their job. But I think it's a real asset to um, to work alongside uh, peers and colleagues who are willing to share. Perhaps it's because, you know, in terms of industries, we, we are comparatively still quite new. We're a modern industry and Perhaps that requires a modern mindset. And we we live in a world now where I think sharing is becoming the norm. Um, so, you know, you don't necessarily need to share every goal and KPI that your business has. But I think there's a lot of sort of commonalities in terms of the challenges that we face. Um, the panel that I was talking at um, a few weeks ago is a, is a good example of that, where I think most commonly the, the topic that came up is, you know, iOS 14 and uh, in a post IDFA world, um, what is everyone doing about that? Have you cracked it yet? And, um, you know, there's real value in, in being able to share that. So why are other industries not doing that? Maybe they're more, um, you know, established in terms of uh, their field and, and maybe it's just never been done but just because it never has been done doesn't mean it shouldn't be you know it's like coming from so before incremental i was always on the media side i was basically ceo of AppLift. before this i was at interactive which is a supply side platform and of course you know i knew my peers i knew other platforms networks and so on we would maybe chat but we were fierce competitors to the point where we don't exchange 
almost any information. I did though discover that like when I became CEO, there's kind of like a CEO club where you do share a bit more openly with like peers and competitors, how things are going, where things are going. But in gaming, it's, it's so unique. It's like, I know that, you know, and take a mobile dev memo Slack channel, for example, if someone wants to know about, I don't know, this vendor, that vendor, they just post a question and people will answer to them. And even if the vendor is there, um, they can't really do that much about it because it's like against the, the community uh, guidelines there, which is very, very unique. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of societies for myself, I would definitely recommend um, for anyone in the field of user acquisition, um, like the UA society is, is a very well known one. but. Also, the, the puzzle gaming uh, society that has recently been kicked off by, by Claire at Rovio, I think it's wonderful. And, um, you know, it's so refreshing just to see so many different um, sort of areas of the gaming industry coming together to share their knowledge and expertise. Okay, now, uh, in a way, obviously, I'm, uh, so I want to throw a different question, which as a, like, I feel a little bit uncomfortable on asking. So. I'll see how it goes. Worst case, I'm going to cut it later in, in post-production. Um, now, a game house has a, a woman CEO. Um, and I've seen that you're active like a few times in women in gaming groups. Um, why is there a need for women in gaming groups? Ultimately, I think women are still underrepresented in our industry. We are a new industry. However, the underrepresentation of women, particularly in fields where STEM subjects are paramount, is a long-standing problem. And you know, I, w w gone are the days of the suffragettes and having to, you know, maybe pioneer for the right to to vote or the freedom of of speech. But we're still in a place where there are not enough women in development engineering um mathematics sciences and for some reason these are still primarily viewed as masculine subjects and even coding in some way depending on who you talk to is seen as inherently biased in terms of being a language coined by men so i think until the ratio changes and until we see better balance it's important that the women who are a part of this industry speak loud and we show what a magical place it is to work. And that's, you know, there's roles for women, of course, in areas such as HR or legal or marketing, but there's also huge opportunity for women in coding and production. You know, there's so many different fields where it's really an asset to have a female voice. Sorry, by the way, for the completely like off scripted, off topic uh, question, but you know, sometimes it will... me a bit, but actually it's, it's such an important question. I am glad you asked. Yeah. And you know, I think I asked because I'm curious because of, of course I like, I see, I see you, I see Claire, um, I see some other like women leaders in the industry posting things about it and. I would say on my end, obviously as a man, like hard for me to fully understand. That's why I'd rather ask rather than not ask and just click like and be ignorant about these topics. Yeah. And you know what? It's wonderful to have a man ask that question. And I think we need to have more men asking those questions. And, 
you know, I think ultimately the, the balance isn't going to ever shift unless both women and men are advocating for more women to be represented in gaming. So I'm all for it. Yeah. Please ask no, uh, more of these questions. Yeah, so, it's great. Uh, yeah, I'm going to continue on this uh, line just again, because I'm now curious. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with the VP people at, back at Applift, and I think we both agreed that we're never going to create an unfair bias during the interview process. On the other hand, um, she basically said that her role in, in the recruitment side is to make sure that we have an even uh, number of resumes coming in. So, but I, I would like to actually ask a question, like, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a leadership position in a SaaS company, what could we be doing more? I think in terms of recruitment, especially, it's important not to have language which is biased towards a particular gender. That's a very interesting area to actually research and look into. but. There's certain keywords and terminology which um, by nature is more geared towards men and vice versa can be more geared towards women. So I think gender neutrality in terms of um, job descriptions is, is really important. That's something where I, I don't remember what I was listening to, but uh, one interesting sort of facet I picked up on on women is when they look at the core responsibilities in a job description, unless typically they can satisfy all the different bullet points um, within the, the specifications, they won't necessarily apply for the role. Whereas men typically take a different approach of saying, well, actually, I think I can maybe satisfy five out of seven of these and the other two I can learn. So I will apply and I will sell myself because I know I'm good enough for this. Um, I think educating ourselves in terms of um, some of the challenges that women typically face imposter syndrome is a big one i also just um i think trying to promote a culture of diversity and inclusion in the workplace more broadly because it's not just women who are um, at times discriminated against it, it can be race it can be age there's so you know i, I think we just need to better educate ourselves on how to try and, and break the bias ultimately and that's something that isn't going to shift overnight but even really small incremental changes can can make a real big difference so it's it's having the conversation and sometimes those are difficult conversations it's it's being transparent and discussing these topics i've i've found real um benefits in joining women in games um more recently women in mobile which uh, is a fantastic new initiative by liftoff and bungle joining groups of women and just sort of having these difficult conversations and saying well you know what was your experience in your career and uh how did you get to be where you are and um ultimately i would like to see more participation from both uh, you know, from all genders, um, but regardless of orientation, but also um, more studios, more organizations participating in these discussions and, and learning firsthand from the people who encounter these um, biases on a day-to-day -day basis. I really appreciate the answer, by the way, actually also like, like it had me immediately think of like our um, you know job descriptions and what do they say and like I I think you nailed the point um, on what you said earlier about like 
you know, uh, women looking at a job spec and looking at all the requirements. And, you know, if they don't think they can maybe meet all, they would just not apply while like men will just send their resume, you know, regardless of do I fit, not fit, do I have like the uh, amount of experience required here, which by the way, as an, as an interviewer, um, and even at Uplift, we used to get like a thousand resumes a month. To be fair, I more care about the person in front of me rather than what the resume says or if they indeed fit all the written down requirements, which most of the time, by the way, is just a means to create kind of a filter and not really what we're looking for, depending well, on the maybe role, that's, of course. Um, it's interesting as well, and maybe that's something where that needs to be specified more in job applications is, you know, you don't need to satisfy all of these points, but actually, you know, these are some of the skills um, or responsibilities uh, that we we value value in the role. But I think just a, a final point on sort of um, my my views on being an advocate for for women in games, I think it's also really important to be an advocate for women in games because equality by nature is about balance, right? And and tackling issues where women might be subject to discrimination. We also tackle indirectly topics such as toxic masculinity and equally men can be subject to, to bias or expectations and, um, you know, unfair expectations at times in terms of what it means to be a man or indeed what it means to be a woman. And um, ultimately, I think what we should be fighting for is just a world where equality is, is seen as a core value. Uh, by the way, maybe you want to do a shout out. Which company do you think does it well when it comes to specifying their like hiring requirements? Because I'm I'm gonna try to get some inspiration from them later. Um, you know, actually, I I have to give a shout out to Gamehouse here, and I know that maybe sounds inherently biased of myself, but um, you know, the the team I work with at Gamehouse, um, there is a dedicated team focusing on diversity, uh, inclusion, and um, and looking at equal opportunities. And we're very female-centric in terms of our games and our audience is primarily female. And we're every month trying to grow the, the female demographic that are working for us internally. You know, I think what is, is nice is we accept we're not quite there yet, but each week and each month we have conversations to try and improve you know, how can we hire more women in roles where they're underrepresented? What are we doing well currently and auditing that and saying, well, you know, where are the gaps and how do we fill those? And um, I'm really, really proud of the team and how they've been working on this. And it is a work in progress, but we're getting there. And by the way, you're allowed to be um, biased. It's my podcast. You can do whatever you want. There's no rules here. So all good. And by the way, I did find it relatively weird. Like a few months ago, I was talking with this company and they have a it's it's a dedicated app for women's like for menstrual cycle tracking. And the entire team there was composed with men, which I found odd to say the least. Yeah, that surprises me actually. But I, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to to hear a little bit more about their approach and if they feel that that is, you know, their team is representative. And um, you know, until you you speak to the team and you understand um, their working dynamic, I, it's it's hard to judge, you know, if that's working for them or not. No, no, I just found it odd. I think um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna jump into two a bit more. I would say generic questions I have in this interview series, but 
like the answers are never really generic. Uh, maybe starting with the first one, is marketing an art or a science in your view? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I would love to be original and pick one of them. But to be honest, I feel successful marketing for me, it requires art and science to work in harmony. So like, whether you stare into the knowing eyes of the Mona Lisa or you immerse yourself in the, I guess, 43 magic minutes it takes to listen to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, the greatest art taps into our psychology our unique blueprints that make us human, um, triggering our brains to feel something. Essentially, our senses react. And this is what we try to do in marketing. We marry art and science to generate an emotional response. And in a heavily saturated advertising space where multiple brands are vying for the attention of an audience, there's a real need for messaging to stand out. And in my opinion, this is where art comes in. In a world where the machine learning robots are largely taking over multiple facets of our job, art is one of the few mediums we can still control and optimize to showcase our games, products or services. However, I think it would be naive to think that every piece of art created would resonate with its desired audience. Um, a good example of this is Neil Gaiman, who frequently references that for every commercially successful novel he's written, for example, American Gods, there's been a lot of content that's been refused publishing. And with marketing creatives, it's no different. Some art sells and some art doesn't, even if a lot of heart and soul goes into its creation. So in addition to the earlier reference of psychology, I think to me, this is where the beauty of science really comes in. And in a digital age where we have so much data at our disposal, allowing us to better understand our audience and their preferences. Um, it's, it's with almost laser focus that we're able to test what aspects of art are most engaging, albeit across demographics or advertising platforms. However, um, you know, it's an interesting time. If you were to ask me this question again in a few years, I'll be curious to see how my answer has changed. I think with data privacy now paramount, um, the volume of insights available to us, for example, on iOS are not what they used to be. It's, it's really only a matter of time before similar rollouts happen on Google, albeit maybe from a more informed perspective. Um, but for art and science to continue working in harmony as it has done in the past, I think we're likely going to have to change how we view this marriage or it could end in divorce. I wonder if the same question gets asked um, in, a, you know, in podcasts of musicians, like asking a musician in today's world, uh, producers, is music an art or a science? Because like, like personally, by the way, if I had to answer this question, I think I would still pick more the art rather than the science, even though again, I'm a CEO of a data science company. I think that the uh, creative aspects of what we're doing supersedes the methodolo methodological approach of trying to just, you know, come up with a formula and work like that, because I don't think that's how marketing works. Like it's like, there's always someone breaking the formula and showing you that there's a better way, there's a different way. And that's driven by creativity, not by science. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. And I, I think it's the beauty of, I think what I fell in love with was marketing. Um, it probably came down to some of the advertising, you know, that I saw on TV 
um, growing up and, and how some of those messages resonated with me or stuck with me. But it's really the out of the box examples of creativity that I think, um, you know, stay with us that have a profound impact on us, on our psychology, on our, um, on our preferences that influence our choices. And, and that comes from original ideas and not just iterating on a process, which I think the science aspect is really great in terms of saying, well, actually we, we've identified that potentially this creative works really well for us. How can we dig into that? How can we evolve it? How can we iterate and, and change it so that we can use this for optimization purposes? Amazing. But in terms of the groundbreaking new ideas, that's really an art form. And um, to me, that's the fun part of, of what we do. Another question, you know, you've been six years in this industry. Um, what piece of advice you would give anyone coming into this industry, like from scratch? Uh, from scratch. Um, so I would say if you're completely new to mobile, don't be intimidated by the wall of jargon you will probably hear once you start work. I remember in my first week of gaming, I was working for Outplay Entertainment and I was approached by a producer who came over and asked me a question about one of the games. And honestly, what he uttered that day could have very well been Elvish or Klingon for all I knew. It made absolutely like, no sense to me whatsoever. And I was incredibly shy at the time. And I felt so embarrassed that I didn't know how to respond to or even interpret his request. And after that day, I, I kept a note of all the terminology that I came across in mobile that I didn't quite understand. And I have to say it was probably three to six months before the jigsaw pieces started to, to come together for me and, and form a clearer picture on the terminology and, and what it meant. Um, in terms of other advice, I would say stay curious. Um, never be afraid to ask your colleagues or peers questions. It's actually a really healthy mindset, I think, asking questions. Adopt a test and learn mentality in the application of your work. Um, and, and don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone because this is often the, the time when we best learn. Um, I've often found that it's been through my my failures at times that I've learned best in, in this field, actually. I, I don't even like to define them as, as failures. I think it's more opportunities to grow. And, and ultimately stay up to date as best you can with the, the latest news and, and what's happening in mobile because this industry is so fast paced and, and ever evolving. And just as you master something, it could change. Um, sorry, that was more like five pieces of advice in the end, I think. No, but that's, that's, that's very good. That's very good. By the way, it's like in Uplift, actually, once we had a new marketing director who joined who um, couldn't follow the jargon. So he made kind of like a... A glossary and then it circulated in the company i think we had like close to 300 terms that like people used in the company that for an outsider would just sound like an alien language exactly it's a language within itself and um i love that idea and actually in terms of uh onboarding new team members it's actually uh, something I might implement in the future is having a, a glossary or a, a core sort of set of definitions in terms of, 
you know, what do these KPIs mean? Or, you know, just even some of the more generic gaming jargon that if you want to communicate and collaborate across teams in uh, the various departments internally, it's really core to understand. You know, I see it. Uh, so we have a relatively new employee at Incremental, Noah, which I think you met, and she doesn't come yeah, from the she's industry. Lovely. She has like she has like three months in the industry. So often she'll be in customer conversation. You know, customers will just say, you know, cock to LTV, um, our pool, and she has no clue. And then I I will just use the Zoom chat to explain our pool, average revenue per user, like just to explain yeah. all the terminology. What's what's uh, I don't know if you have kind of like something jumping to mind, but like is there a kind of like a, a game house specific um, acronym you use every day, and to an outsider it would be like, what 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 are they saying? Um, I'm sure there are. I can't think of one off the top of my head um, because I think it has just probably become an integral part of my day-to-day -day language that to me it doesn't even seem like a game housey term anymore. But uh, I do remember that when I was learning about games, I think the, the term that I really struggled with most of all was cohorts. Um, because this was just not uh, a means of measurement <laughs> that I had had come up against. and. When I, when I joined um, Outplay, I, I, I had a really lovely um, lead UA, but she was pregnant at the time I joined and, and left very soon after um, I started and went through my induction. And subsequent to that, our, our head of marketing at the time also left. So um, it was myself at one point working most directly with our UA analyst. and. I remember, you know, when I was trying to figure out what cohorts were and the CFO was asking me about the performance of campaigns across five different game titles, uh, I was so grateful to our analyst because what he actually did for me was in our reports, he created a traffic light system where red was bad, green was good, and amber was somewhere in between. And if it hadn't been for that, you know, those first few months when I was really grappling with just everything and so much information being thrown at me, I, I don't know if I would have survived. So um, Fraser, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, since we're kind of running out of time, I'm going to jump into uh, other questions. Um, what do you think is the like, think gaming marketers should be exploring uh, in the next 12 months? Um, I, I think we're still kind of adapting to iOS 14, iOS 15, um, the reduction in IDFA um, or the death of IDFA, as some might say. I think it's keeping an eye on the ball in terms of what Google will do next um, and, and sort of just really following those changes with Sandbox. Um, so far, to me, it seems like Google are being a little bit more considerate to the advertiser in terms of giving a heads up on the changes. But if I've learned something from um, the last year or two in terms of having to deal with iOS 14 and scaling iOS traffic, it's that when Google comes along, we really need to be ready for it. I think tactically, when the iOS changes rolled out, a lot of studios, certainly not all, but a lot of them did weight their budget towards Google as a temporary measure to try and say, hey, let's figure out our iOS strategy. Um, whereas I think, you know, we can't afford to be reactive in that sense. We have to be proactive and, and look in the wing mirror 
and say, okay, we know these changes are coming, so how do we adapt? Now jumping to our lightning round. So I'm gonna just throw you know, like random terms at you, um, hear your opinions over those. Um, starting maybe with influencer marketing. Hmm, influencer marketing. As a consumer, I'm personally not very receptive to it unless someone I really admire and trust is the influencer in question. So I don't know, like Tom Hardy's work with Battersea Dogs Home is an example of an influencer that I love and uh, respect. But as a marketer, it can be a bit of a nightmare to track, but I definitely think tools such as Incremental make it far easier to measure the success of an influencer marketing campaign. Cool. And then if you had to work only with one ad platform, which, which one would that be? I think for me, it has to be Google Ads. Um, even before I was working in games, I was working with Google Ads um, on e-commerce. So it's really the, uh, the network that I have the most experience in. It might arguably be my comfort zone. But I, I do think Google tend to be quite um, forthcoming in terms of sharing information about their new products. They have a lot of exciting um, campaign objectives in beta. And even just in terms of how they're tackling privacy, I, I really admire the information that they're sharing and the fact that they are trying to be mindful of um, both the consumer and their right to, to privacy, which ultimately is a fundamental human right, but also being considerate of the marketer and the fact that ultimately this should be seen as a positive change that actually brings more integrity to marketing. Cool. By the way, I would have actually thought that you would have said Facebook. That's usually what I expect people to say, but interesting to see that you're, um, you're actually um, saying Google. Um, I would probably not have expected something completely random, like, you know, but interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely team Google. <laughs> cool. Natalie, what's a random fact about you? Oh, this is always one of those questions I struggle with, but I do try and come up with something different every time I'm asked this. I've ironically been asked this about three times in the last few months, having had a, a time of a few years where I never got asked this question. Um, Okay, here's a weird one. I actually lost my last baby tooth on my 18th birthday, um, which is indeed a while ago now, but it fell out. Uh, it fell out during freshers week of university as I was exiting a pub. Um, and I'm sad to say that the tooth fairy did not arrive that night, mm. only the hangover fairy. But um, yeah, here's, here's hoping I can hold on to my adult tooth for a long time as well. Okay, well, that's that. That is indeed the definition of random. Um, the prize for the the random yeah, comment of the month. <laughs> probably, probably. Now, and Ali, nice. if people wanted to reach out to you and to actually get a response, I think with the title saying "user acquisition," your LinkedIn unread messages is probably in the hundreds. So, if people really wanted to reach out to you, um, what would be the best way to do so? I'm actually quite responsive on LinkedIn. I think that is a good way. Um, either that or I would say join the the new um, Puzzle Gaming Society. I am very responsive on their Slack channel. It's a great way to network. Um, or, you know, find me on Instagram. Cool. Such a millennial answer. Very, very. Uh, if you'd say it said so, by the way, I, I found out from my daughter, there's there's something newer than TikTok that is gaining popularity. It's called Likey. 
again, okay. if you're if you're looking for, I don't I don't even know what what is a gen what comes after Gen Z, um, Gen I don't know. Gen uh, question mark. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the platform you want to look into. By the way, Likey. You know, I'm just um, getting my head around TikTok, so I feel like the fact there's a new one coming, I'm not surprised, but uh, I do. Have, I need to do my homework on that. Yeah, 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 that's a good thing. I would say having kids, I'm kind of exposed to what's the latest, latest trends. Um, so, Nladi, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we'll chat again in the next few days, like we usually do. Um, and again, thank you so much. It's been an awesome pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This is my first attempt at anything remotely close to a podcast and it's been really wonderful to to go through that with you. You know, we've been working together for a while now, Maur, and um, it's always a joy, it's always fun. And um, to anyone listening who's thinking about, oh, should I do this or not? I would highly recommend just go for it. It's, you know, to to revert back to what I said earlier, sometimes step out of your comfort zone and, and see where it takes you. So a massive thank you for today, Mauer. My pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.